Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everybody. You can sell. I'm, tell I'm all electronified up this morning. So I'm just going to have something really good for you this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I want to begin this morning with the question uh, that mankind has been asking since the beginning of time. And it's the, the, the simple question, what's the meaning of life? Now, I want us to ask it in a little bit more personal way today. We'll ask it this way. What is being accomplished in my life that has real meaning? And I'll quantify that by asking it the way we did a few weeks back in the series that was called Wasted. What is being accomplished in my life that is meaningful for eternity? Now, every person, no matter the sex, no matter the culture, no matter the nationality, every person shares this one truth. You are born, you die... And in light of eternity, you have a very short window to do something eternally meaningful with your life. And when you die, there will be a gravestone of some sort with a few words written on it. Sometimes the words written on the gravestone have meaning to the family. Um, Many of you do not know that I have an older sister. She was six or seven years older than me, and she was killed in an automobile accident when she was 20 years old. And we buried her out in in the cemetery out here by uh, Wright Park Golf Course. And so there's a little small black stone, and and it's got her name, of course, and and when she was born and when she died. And then there's a little phrase underneath it. It's a phrase that just had meaning to us during that time. It doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it did to us. And it just simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave us Amy too. So sometimes people do things like that that are meaningful. Um, sometimes they don't put anything on them. Sometimes they put things on them that are, quite honestly, just hilariously funny. Um, in a Ribsford, England cemetery, there, there is a, a woman there named Anna Wallace. And this is what it says on her gravestone. The children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old Clark Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. That'll teach her to die first. In memory of an accident in a Uniontown, Pennsylvania cemetery, it says this. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. This is a new one. I've never shared this one before in a grave in Hartscombe, England. It's a man by the name of Jonathan Fiddle. It says, on the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. And the one that has been read here many, many times over the years. Beneath the the sod and beneath these trees lies the body of Solomon Pease. The Pease is not here. It's only his pod. Pease has shelled out and gone home to God. (laughs) I've often wondered what my three kids will put on mine. I have the feeling that they're going to want to put something like this. Hey, Dad, it could always be worse. 
Um, but here's what I hope they will put on mine. It's not serious, by the way. Uh, that's the last thing I want on my gravestone is something serious. I hope that they'll put this on mine. This is what happens when you don't forward the message to ten people. <laughs> that would just encapsulate my life perfectly, I think. Um, because I never have, despite all the threats. One thing. That every gravestone has in common is the name, the date of birth, the date of death, and then they're separated, of course, by the dash. And that dash metaphorically represents all the events of your life. The question I'd like for you to ponder this morning is this. Will your dash represent a life that was meaningful in light of eternity? Did you have meaning and purpose that really matters. Well, that's the question that the wisest man who ever lived on earth pondered. His name is Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he stops to question the meaning of life. This question that has been around forever. What does life mean? Is what he ponders. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 13, here's what Solomon says. He says, I devoted myself... To search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. Here's what he's saying. I did all I could with all the wisdom that God gave me to try to understand what the meaning of life is. What is it in life that really, really matters? How do you live your life in such a way that you can have fulfillment that isn't temporary or fleeting, but is real and lasts for eternity. That's what Solomon is seeking after. Now, of course, I'm not one to, to advocate cheating, but in this case, it's like we're sitting in the room next to the smartest guy in the class, and he's showing us his paper, if you will. So Solomon has done the work, and we get to copy off of him this morning. And so in chapter 2, Solomon points out, he finds and he shares with us six things that do not provide fulfillment in life. And I'm going to share these with you. And it looks like we've got a lot to cover, but we're going to be done covering these six things in less than a minute and a half. So, so keep your pen handy. The first is simply this. He says, there is no pleasure that will give my life meaning. The wisest man in the world who sought out to use all the wisdom that God gave him the first thing that he tells us is there's no pleasure that will give my life meaning. In chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 1, Solomon says this, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that it was meaningless. You can do the work on your own if you want to. Or you can simply copy off Solomon's paper today. But I'm here to tell you that that no matter how much you try, you're never going to find a pleasure that will give your life meaning. Secondly, there is no accomplishment that will give our life meaning. In the verse 4, he said this, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. And he goes on and says other things. He said, I, I tried to find meaning in my life by these big accomplishments, but to no avail. And then he said, thirdly, there's no amount of wealth that will give my life meaning. In verse 8, 
He said, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. But it didn't provide meaning for him. It didn't give him purpose. Then he goes on and says the fourth thing, there's no level of status that will give meaning to our life. In verse 9, he says this, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. He, he had a place, not, not only was he the smartest guy in the world, he had status, he was the king. There was no one on earth greater than Solomon. He said, but it didn't give him meaning in his life. Five, there's no possession that will give our life meaning. Verse 10, he says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. He's talking about things here. He says, anything I wanted, I could have. But he came to the conclusion that those possessions don't provide fulfillment for me. They don't provide meaning in my life. And then finally, the sixth, he said, there is no career that will give my life meaning. In the second part of verse 10, he goes on to say, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. There are six things here. And these six things encapsulate everything that every one of us and everyone else in the world seems to spin our wheels going after to try to find meaning and fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment and happiness in our life. And here's the thing. You're not going to find it. The person next to you is not going to find it. Your kids, your parents, your neighbors are not going to find it in these things. No one is. Solomon, the wisest and richest man in the world, had all of these things. And he said, I have experienced it firsthand. These things will not provide fulfillment. But yet. We think, yeah, but. This pleasure would. As if Solomon didn't try it. Or this accomplishment. As if we can find something that Solomon didn't accomplishment. Or this amount of wealth. Trust me. Your wealth will never begin to sniff the wealth of Solomon. No status. No possession. No career. No place in your career. Your career field. We spend so much time. Seeking after these things, trying to find fulfillment and meaning in life. And all we're doing is spinning our wheels. And you know what? Solomon found out, and he points it out to us uh, in verse 11, what it all means. He said, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, what? Those things, those six things. He said, I found out that it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. And you know what? Solomon's not just a preacher preaching theory. Solomon had all those things. Solomon had the possessions. He had the pleasures. He had the wealth. He had the status. He had the career. All of those things. He had all of them. And he said, you know what I found out? That's the amount of fulfillment that they provide for me in my life. So if we were then to go to Solomon and say, okay, we cheated off your paper, but you didn't tell us how then should we live? How do we find fulfillment? What would he say? Well, I want you to go to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. 
Because that's the very last thing that he's going to say. After he spends the entire book of Ecclesiastes saying, this is meaningless, and this is meaningless, and this is meaningless. He gets down to, okay, well, what's meaningful? And so in chapter 12, verse 13, he says this. He says, that's the whole story. He's saying, okay, the whole story is it's all meaningless. He says, here now is my final conclusion. As he has sought to find the meaning of life, he says, here's the conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. That's not a whole lot of words. That's powerful. You want to know how to find meaning in your life? Fear God and obey His commands. See, we are created by God, for God, and we're never going to find meaning in this life apart from God. And that's what Solomon's conclusion was. And when he said, fear God, what he's saying is the only way that we ever find meaning in our life is through relationship with Him. And the only way we accomplish something that lasts for eternity is by being transformed by His Word, by obeying His commands. Now, go back uh, probably a page to chapter 9. And I want you to look at what he says in, verse, in, in chapter 9, in verse 10, where he says this, Whatever you do, do it well, for when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. You see, here's what he's basically, basically saying, if you'll allow me to paraphrase. He says, you get one dash. You get one shot at this. You get only one chance to live fully for Jesus, living in relationship with him and seeing that 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 is lived out in obedience to his word. The simple answer on how we can live life uh, that is meaningful is to live our life every day, accomplishing something that pleases God and makes a difference for eternity. So let's take just a minute and consider our dash Go ahead, think about your life up to this point. Have you given God your all? Or have you given Him your sum? Have you given Him any of you at all or only what's left after you've pursued pleasure, wealth, status, career, possessions, and all those avenues that Solomon talked about? Are you giving God your intelligence are you, or are you giving that to your goal of achieving status and position? Are you giving God your abilities? Or are you giving that to every other club and organization that you're a part of? Are you giving Him your wealth? Or are you using that in an attempt to purchase pleasure and possessions? If you were to die today and, and people gathered around um, your casket and the preacher and family and friends stood up to talk about you and they talked about your dash... Would anyone be able to say he or she accomplished something that will live for eternity? And what about us collectively as a church? Could it be said that we ever accomplished something that mattered for eternity? I want to ask you to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. If the question were asked, 
What has family fellowship done that will last for eternity? What do you suppose the answer would be? Yeah, I think some people would probably go, well, they lasted a long time. Um, there were quite a few people over the years that went there. Um, they did certain things well. I think that would be what some people's answers might be. But here in Acts chapter 1, the church is given its purpose. And all of those things that people might say that I just mentioned, those are all good things. But that's not what our purpose is. In Acts chapter 1, the church is given its purpose, its blueprint on what to do to make a difference for eternity. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. First of all, let me let you do the inspection here, do the homework. Who is this verse speaking to? It's right there at the very beginning. Look at it. Who is it speaking to? Those who have the Holy Spirit. The New Testament makes it clear that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. So it's talking to every Christian, every Christ follower. So Jesus is telling every Christian, not that you should be witnesses or not that you might be witnesses. He says this, you will be, you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so what does that mean for us? What is our Jerusalem? Our Jerusalem is Greenville, Texas. What is our Judea and Samaria? That's that's Texas and the United States. And the ends of the earth are the ends of the earth. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what our purpose is. As individuals and as we partner together, it's our purpose as a church to do something meaningful that will last for eternity. So how do we do that? How can we, people, just regular people in Greenville, Texas, how can we tell the world about Jesus? Because that's really, that's a big task. That's a big project. How do we do that? Well, we do it by partnering with others in world missions. Now, I want to show you something here on my computer. Um, am I up? Yes, I am. Okay, so this is a... And I would encourage you maybe to write this down. This website is joshuaproject.net. This is something for you to go go meander through sometime when you've got some free time. Um, and I want you just to see some of the details here. Um, down here, it says right now that our population in the world is 7.47 billion. And up here, it tells us that there are 16,825 people groups. You say, okay, well, what's a people group? It's the largest group in which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering significant barrier, barriers of understanding or acceptance. It's not a country because within every country, there are multiple Ethnic groups or people groups. And so there there are 16,000, almost 17,000 people groups. And 6,989 of them are unreached. So, okay, well, I don't really know exactly what that means. Unreached means that less than 2% of that population truly knows Christ as its Savior. And because the number is so small, the number of 
true followers of Jesus Christ is so small, they do not have the ability in and of themselves to impact their nation. They need help. 41, nearly 42% of the people groups in the world are still unreached. 3.15 billion people. in an area where they don't have access to the gospel. This, this table here, um, this, this red category here, um, shows red being, being the worst and, and green being good. So there's the 6,989 people groups that are completely unreached. And then there's another 1,100 that are, that are basically unreached. There, there's more than 2%, but less than 5% of believers. And after that, you've got the, the, the marginally reached uh, of 1,697 people groups. And then you have the, the next two that you know, are, are to a great degree reached. But there's a, there's a, a huge task ahead of us. And, and I want you to see here, um, you know, we think one of the things that, that has been... Um, perpetuated in missions forever is, is oh, we've got to get the gospel to, the, to Africa. We've got to get to Africa. Um, and so this will allow me to, to pinpoint some areas of Africa. So South Africa, can you see that? Yes, you can. Um, only 12.3% of the population is unreached in, in South Africa. In Namibia, zero is unreached. There are no unreached people groups there. In Botswana, there are no unreached people groups in Botswana. Now, I'm not saying every person is a believer, right? You understand that. I'm saying there are no people groups that don't have the gospel presence. Um, Zimbabwe, 5%. Uh, Mozambique, 14%. United States, 17%. China, 82%. 82%. India, 90%. Nepal, 97%. Pakistan, 98%. Unreached. Afghanistan, 93%. I could keep going. Iran, 90%. What is that? What do we do with all that? We have to realize that for all of the great mission work that's been done for the last hundred years, we're still not scratching the surface. And so here are some disastrous facts when it comes to world missions. The world is growing in people, but the number of churches is not growing with it. The USA has been the sending nation for years. But right now, there are 200 million unchurched people in America, making it the fourth largest unchurched nation. And even with the new mega churches, no county in America has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. 
Let me say that again. No county in America has a greater church population than it did only 10 years ago. There are less than half the amount of churches today than there were 100 years ago in America. Is that astounding? And 80% of today's churches are either stagnant or in decline. Each year in America, approximately 4,000 churches close their doors for good. Only about 1,500 new churches begin and not all of them survive, making it for a net loss of approximately 3,000 churches per year. Go to Romans chapter 10. So what do we do with those statistics? Well, we conclude that the task is getting larger with fewer churches to do the job. And while we need more churches in, of course, strategic areas, what we really need are current churches to strengthen their heart for the Word of God and for the Great Commission. See, many churches that still exist have a weakened heart for evangelism and missions, or they have no heart at all. Yes, they meet. Yes, they sing. Yes, they have Sunday school and fall festivals and egg hunts and potlucks. And while someone stands up to speak to the congregation every week, there are many churches where the speaker never gets to the gospel as mentioned in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, where it says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved, and verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there are a lot of churches in America that are still open and meeting, and they're never getting to this part. And then there are another group of churches that, although they do preach verses 9 through 13, they act like that's the end of the chapter. And they ignore the verses that immediately follow. And it is these verses that show us an area that we can obey the word of God and do something with our life that is meaning full and lasts for eternity. So so look at verse 14. After verse 13 said, everyone that calls on the name Lord will be saved. Verse 14 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? You see, we call our overall purpose the Great Commission because it is a co-mission. Some go and take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth And those that don't go, their obligation is to send. I told you last week that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says that giving isn't a command in and of itself. Giving is a heart issue. And that's why 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says that you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I shared with you that that giving is a heart issue. And so in general... Giving isn't a command in and of itself, but you know what? Being a partner in the Great Commission is a command. So let me say it this way. 
Giving is not a command in and of itself. But the specifics of giving to missions is a command. Unless there is a loophole. And you're like, yes. I need the loophole, Paul. What is it? The loophole is, is you don't have to give as long as you go. You see, that's the co-mission. And it is a command for us given by Jesus himself just before he ascended to the Father. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go. And then we get how it works out in Romans, uh, here, here in Romans chapter 10. In order for people to be saved, they have to believe. But they can't believe if they haven't heard and they can't hear without someone to tell them. And they, there's no one to tell them unless others sinned. So let's make this very, very simple this morning. People all over the world are dying and going to hell for eternity. And we're having a hard time hearing their cries because we're too busy trying to find meaning in our life, in our status, in our pleasures, in our possessions in our accomplishments, in our money. And those things are drowning out the cries of the lost world. Let me ask you this. Which side of missions would you rather be on? Would you rather be on the side of missions... Let me put it this way. Would you rather be on the other side? Out there somewhere in the world in a people group that is unreached. And everyone in your people group is condemned to hell unless someone comes and tells them about Jesus. Would you like to be on that side of missions? Would you rather be on this side of missions? Where you've already been the recipient of God's magnificent gift of grace and forgiveness of sins. And you get to be a part of, of, of being blessed and living a life of eternal meaning by making sure that the gospel gets to them. Which side of missions would you rather be on? If you were to die today and God said to you, what did you do to get the saving message of Jesus to those who have never heard or understood, what would you say? And whatever your answer is, that is your dash. And I want to challenge you this morning to strive for something bigger. Strive for something better. Strive to live a life of real meaning and purpose. A life that will last for eternity. What I'm saying is, I want to challenge you to strengthen your heart for missions. You know, there's nothing that you can do to change how you've lived up to this point. But you can change how you live from this point on. And how you'll be found When Christ returns. The words of the wisest man of all time. The one who experienced 
All of the things that we talked about says this. Make your dash count in relation to eternity because once you die, there's no do-over. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes with me this morning. Which side of missions would you rather be on? I hope that this morning that you understand my heart. My my greatest desire is not that we become a church or, or that we continue to be a church that gives to missions. I want us to be a church that has a heart for missions. And it's not the same thing. So regardless of, of who you are, what your wealth status is, whether you're a, a, a teenager that's making minimum wage somewhere or or retiree that's on a fixed income, and everyone in the workforce in between. I really don't want you to get the idea that I'm here to talk about your money. I I want us to talk about our heart. And I pray to God that we will have a heart for missions. that we will live a life of meaning and purpose in relationship with God and obedience to His Word. I think you saw that the task is huge. And the only way that we're going to make a difference, the only way that Christianity is going to make a difference, is by being all in. All in with our heart to get the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God has the freedom this morning to jump all up inside of you and inspire you to live a life that matters by being a partner in missions. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that the gospel came this direction. Thank you that we're on this side of missions. That's just not any other way to say it, Lord, but that it's the depth of ingratitude to be on this side of missions and not care at all about those on the other side. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take the wisdom of Solomon. Help us, God, to cheat off of his paper today. And realize that there is no living a life of meaning or purpose as we chase the things in this world that are meaningless. And so do a work in our hearts. Help us to care. Help us to obey. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. While Danny comes, I just want to tell you that uh, uh, next Sunday uh, will be a little different. And, and really what's going to happen is, is Steve and I, Steve Johnson, our missions pastor, we are going to both be up here and we are going to dialogue about what we are currently doing in the world so that you can see. We want you to see where we are doing things, what it is that we're doing. And, and, and then the, 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 the trickle-down effect of the things that we're doing. Uh, so I think next week, I think it'll be exciting to you. I, I'm telling you, it'll be really um, something that you can walk in here going, I get it. I see what we're doing, and what we're doing is making a huge difference. So I want to invite you back for that next week.